You're listening to Draft Chat. Episode 5. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Giraffe Chaff. This is episode number five, and I'm Zach. All right, everyone. I'm Ben. Uh, that was a great episode. We're going to see you all next week. Be sure to check out our socials. Uh, Zach, is there anything you want to say before we cut off the episode? Ben, we haven't done the episode. Wait, what? Ah, I, I swear, I'm going to get this right at least once. We'll see about that, but I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> <laughs> How have you been? Oh, you know, sitting around, uh, doing a lot of nothing, going to the beach a few times. That's good. That's that it. Played a little vintage cube, uh, a terrifying format that is a <laughs> is a lot of fun. But you know, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners know, it's it's intense. Some crazy things happen. That it is. Well, um, as usual, I just want to do a quick plug for our Patreon here in the beginning of the episode. Uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash draftchaffpod to check out all the stuff we're offering there if that's your thing. Um, the cast will always be free, but uh, if you're interested in supporting us that way, that would be great. Um, we're looking to do a lot of uh, giveaways and things of that nature as the Patreon picks up, so um, that would be great. Yeah. Uh, all right, do you want to bring us in with the, the Kraken Draft? Uh, what's yeah, I do. Thing? So this is uh, thankfully not Vintage Cube because that would just I feel bad having to read every one of those cards. Some of those are just walls of text. This is a, a bit simpler. This is a, an M21 draft. This is a pack two, pick one. So I'll just kind of go over what I had picked up in pack one. Uh, I'm in Jeskai right now. Notable cards that I picked up in pack one. My first pick was a Shipwreck Dowser. Uh, after that, I took a Scorching Dragonfire, Seasoned Hallow Blade, Feet of Resistance, Tempered Veteran, Frantic Inventory, Capture Sphere, a few Valorous Steeds, and a Tranquil Cove. Some other chaff mixed in. So I've got a lot of decent blue stuff, some decent white stuff, a good red card, but nothing really else. Now, to set up the pack two, the rare that I opened was Teferi's Ageless Insight. Uh, at Uncommon, we've got Larian Kraken. And then, um, because we're kind of in Jeskai, let's just talk about you know, the, the Jeskai cards in the pack. Got a makeshift battalion, secure the scene, frost breath, roaming ghost light, and a crash through. Everything else is kind of nonsense. Alchemist's gift, mask blackguard. Eh. There's a sky silver smoke ghoul. Nothing, nothing too fancy. So, uh, what do you think of when you're looking at this? I okay. So, I mean, I'm not looking to play that burn bright you picked up unless it's like a super aggressive deck. Or a Spells Matter deck, but it doesn't seem like you're in that. Um, the white cards you have are good enough that... Like, Hallowblade and Feet of Resistance alone are enough that I, I want to try to keep white if the colors are going that way. Obviously, this is a pick one, so there aren't really any signals to look at. Um, and you've got solid blue cards in Capture Sphere and Dowser, with only really Scorching Dragonfire being like a good red card. Um, and it's splashable, especially that yeah, you notably the only red card in this pack is crash through, which is sometimes okay. If you've got enough, uh, spell gorger weirds and prowess creatures, it's really nice with a bunch of goblin wizardries, which is also probably the only other place where burn bright would show up, but right. I didn't see any of those pack one. Right. So honestly, I mean, you know, part of me wants to say just slam the rare, but honestly, this rare is not great. Uh, I'm not super high on Teferi's Ageless Insight unless you're already in like a tutelage style deck that is just relying on drawing cards to win the game in the first place, uh, which mm -hmm. your deck is not at this point. Uh, I'm on Roaming Ghostlight here. Yeah, Ghostlight or Telerian Kraken seems sweet. I actually took the uh, Teferi's Ageless Insight just because I wanted to give it a shot. I figured maybe I can pick up a few more crash throughs. I could wheel this one. I could do some kind of blue-red draw thing. I actually got past Teferi's Tutelage. So uh, after that, I picked up uh, several you know, little cantrips here and there. Uh, the white one that gives one own draws a card. Uh, I picked up some you know, random card draw engines. I wound up in blue-white, uh, and it was a decent deck. Didn't do great with it, but it, it was fun to play. 
Okay. Well, and I guess, I guess you kind of got there with the Ageless Insight. <laughs> I still. I never actually got to go cast it. But, oh, so oh, all right. I, uh, <laughs> the jury's still out on whether or not it's good. I'd like to hear from some of the listeners if they can provide any ageless insight as to oh, whether or not that was a gosh. good pick. <laughs> I've come to realize that all of these recording sessions are just cringe fests for me. I just sit here and like. <laughs> Uh, I just try to make as many puns as I can. Yeah, well, as long as I've known you, that's been the case. Um, yeah, exactly. All right, well, that brings us to our next segment, which is the Teferi Tibolt. Um, ben, do you want to kick us off with that? All right, so I've got some pretty good Teferis and Tibolts this week. So I want to start with uh, my Tibolt because <laughs> it really kind of summarizes my experience with Vintage Cube. I'm not great in Magic Online with the interface. So I make some pretty common mistakes and it's gotten to the point where I'm like, I'm terrified to, to cast overflowing chalice, uh, Everflowing chalice, you know, whatever yeah, it's called. Yeah. I think it has like, it costs zero, but there's a multi kicker. And then like, that's that, that scares me. Yeah. It costs but anyway, zero, but it's multi kicker X. I think that's, that's or, terrifying. Or X, I, don't even know. I can't remember, but, uh, I've had a few problems with twin, which is, you know, one of the few things that you think you wouldn't be able to mess up, I managed to find a way. I kind of forgot what uh, Deceiver Exarch did. Like, pester my... I don't remember which one I have. It doesn't matter. Uh, I, I was at... I was on six lands. And... Or six mana sources. I think I had... I think that was the deck I had, like, a Mox in. And uh, I think I also had, you know, some Signet out. But the point was... I didn't realize that I could just play Deceiver Exarch to untap one of my lands and then twin immediately. That, that just didn't even <laughs> occur to me. Because I'm so used to, like, opponent's end step, I'll flash in Pestermite, tap down, I don't know, their Soul Ring or their, like, Basalt Monolith or something like that. And uh, I was thinking, like, yeah, I'll just pass the turn, I'll do it on my turn. They were blue decks, so I was a little afraid of, like, getting punished by a counterspell or something anyway. But anyway... Uh, I ended up, you know, just flashing on the end step, comboing off the next turn. But uh, I very easily could have lost that game had I, you know, not gotten lucky. But anyway, very my nice. Teferi. This is a, a huge brain play on my part. I'm very proud of this I was. One. I'm not going to lie. When I read about this, I was like, I had like a little inkling of me. It was just like, so proud of you. <laughs> I don't think I would have thought of this line, and it's really cool. Did you see it on Twitter where uh, I went as viral as I've ever gone? Yes, uh, with with both LSV and Gabby Sparts commenting about my sick play. Yep, yep. <laughs> well, anyway, I mean, so it, let's see. My opponent was on Reanimator, which I, I was aware of. This is game two. Uh, they're on the play. I'm on the draw, and I was playing like blue green. Big stuff ramp. Still vintage cube, by the way, for Still all the vintage listeners. cube. Yeah. So my opponent goes turn one. Uh, swamp thought thought sees themselves. Excuse me. A pretty common line. Uh, discarding an ashen rider. So obviously their plan was you know to reanimate it somehow, and thought sees reveals their hand. So I got to look at it. They had exhume, which is one of the black. Each uh, each player returns a creature from the graveyard to the battlefield. So, alarm bells are going off in my head. I'm about to get turn two exhumed into Ashen Rider. They're going to blow up whatever land I play turn one. I didn't have Moxes or Soul Ring or anything to kind of go off turn one to put more than one permanent on the field. So I was thinking, do I just want to feed them a land? That, that doesn't feel right. So I drew my card, eight cards in hand, and I was looking at my cards in hand, and I realized I had a Mirror Battle Sphere which is like an 8-mana, 4-7. When it ETBs, you make four one ones, and they do some attacking, tapping nonsense. 7-mana, but was, yeah. 7-mana, sure. I was thinking, why don't I just, you know, discard the battle ball down to hand size to punish their exhum? And uh, I did exactly that, and it worked. They ended up not exhuming on turn 2 uh, because they kind of saw what was happening. So on my turn, I got to uh, play out a land. Uh, on my following turn, I got to play out a land. They still didn't exhume. I got to put another land in Signet. And then at that point, I was able to get far enough back ahead into the game that I just got to go off and cast more big stuff. And they did exhume eventually. 
uh, and it did take out one of my lands, but I was able to cast Duretti Ingenious Iconoclast to you know, wipe away the uh, the Archon after all. So mm. it was quite the play. I'm pretty happy with it. Does does Ashen Rider hit non creatures? Uh, it just hits permanence. Right. So I'm curious about that because I think if I were in your opponent's situation in that play, I still would have exhumed on two because the Ashen Rider takes out your battle sphere. Mm-hmm. when it hits the battlefield and you have four one one mirrors on the board and i have an ashen rider i th- think that's still correct isn't it i think so the implication just being that i was trying to minimize my loss and that i could potentially race them with uh four one ones plus they had seen my deck they knew i had some artifact nonsense i had golos in my deck i had like some fast mana mm. i was i was able to get back into it thanks to that but i think they were a little afraid of that well, I think on your um, on your end that was absolutely the correct play. Like that that was awesome. You just turned their amazing, you know, like what a seven or eight mana play or whatever on turn two mm-hmm. into a well, we both get seven mana plays on turn two. <laughs> like that's awesome. Yeah. I'm just surprised your opponent still didn't exhume. Yeah, it might have been correct, but um I don't know, listeners. Like, comment, and subscribe oh if you gosh. think that was the correct play. <laughs> anyway how about you what did you do this week oh yeah so i kind of forgot that i didn't do mine yet um (laughs) yeah so this week uh, i had a couple more m21 drafts i didn't get into the vintage cube like you so i was just doing you know the the ever uh changing format of m21 i say changing (laughs) in air quotes because it's more or less the same format but um i drafted a pretty sick blue white deck uh super flyer heavy and I think the average CMC was like 2.8 something. Like it was a pretty low CMC, but I had a Baneslayer Angel as the top end. Um, Probably my fastest five win deck. Like I just jammed through five wins in no time. <laughs> and like, I think it took me a half hour to get through the, or maybe 20 minutes to get through the first five wins. Um, it was really, really fast, but I still managed to mana screw on Th- two games and misplay on one so i ended up six three in that that event and Uh-oh. i was really sad about it but the highlight of that whole event and that deck uh in general was that i was playing against a pretty sweet blue red deck um my opponent had a spell gorger reared out he was able to give it flying i think he cast rousing read on it mm-hmm. it's pretty big then i capture sphered the spell gorger weird so it was just this this weird that was getting bigger but couldn't do anything mm-hmm Eventually, he has it up to a 6-6. He casts a Brash Taunter and uh, passes the turn. I did my thing. I attacked him or whatever. And he... I pass the turn back. Opponent then uh, casts Unleash Fury to double the power of his Spellgorger Weird, (laughs) which I thought was super weird. I was like, why is he doing this? He can't attack with that. Brash Taunter it? He Brash Tauntered his own Spellgorger Weird just to hit me for a ton of damage <laughs> three mana. unfortunately for for opponent it only brought me to four and as most uh magic players know four is not dead um so <laughs> he passed a turn and i just i just swung in with like bane slayer angel three mistral singers and you know that was that was game that's a, that's incredible three yeah. mana deal 12 to your opponent's face <laughs> yeah you know i found something kind of strange in this format First of all, after having played several more drafts, I can firmly say I do not like M21 draft. Yeah, why is that? It's just not that fun. You know, I don't know if that's going to resonate, but... um, No, I, I, I kind of get that. Everything is the same. It's like all the decks are the same. Like if you're playing blue, there's no like fancy or fun blue-red deck. Like it's just the blue-red deck and they're all the same. And the red-white decks are all the same. Blue red can do some like goblin wizardry nonsense, which which yeah, can but be you, you expect them all to have that. Yeah, when I play blue red, that is usually how I die. <laughs> right. Uh, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think the diminished card quality, which maybe is a good thing for the game in general. I mean, we've been seeing some ridiculous power creep, but we'll save that for constructed chaff. Um, <laughs> we are kind of dealing with this underpowered set. And every once in a while, we'll all get to do something kind of cool. But I don't know. Yeah, in general, it, it just it's just like not a, fun. It just feels like a bit of a, a weaker set to me. This was not going to be... Like, are you going to remember this in a year? Maybe, because we started the podcast during this 
this format. Uh, yeah, but, that's true. I, I think I'll remember this for the as format. the yeah. I think I'll remember this as the um like the Bane Slayer format. Like you, you either open something stupid and you have a good time, or you try to make do with a pile of commons. And some people like that. Some people have a great time, you know, doing what they can with a million goblin wizardries and ops. But it's not, you're, you're, not you're really talking about thing. me, aren't you? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, in general, and this kind of strays from our topic today before we even get into the topic, but. I kind of feel like magic right now needs a reset more on, on the constructed side of things. I feel like it just needs a power reset. Like the power creep has gotten a little out of control in my opinion. Mm-hmm. However, um, sometimes limited needs that too. The last few sets we've had in limited have been super powerful. And I think part of the fun of limited is to be able to slam these really cool cards that, that actually do stuff and your opponents are doing the same. So nothing's super broken. Um, mm-hmm. like I'm not talking about War of the Spark where the, the rares were just you win the game but you know sometimes you you need a, you need more powerful commons and uncommons in order to make the, playing the format fun if you're playing vanilla tutus it's like why? But that's this format like- right no you're right no, I'm agreeing with you I'm agreeing with you absolutely yeah, yeah. Uh, I, and I don't know some things about it just uh, it's not really my cup of tea hence you know, I, Vintage Cube for the past week. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I don't think the two compare at all. But speaking of Vanilla Tutus, that's a perfect segue into our topic for this week. Uh, Today, yeah. we are talking about Draft Chaff. Now, I know the podcast is called Draft Chaff, but we really wanted to take a, a, an episode to just kind of talk about what is Draft Chaff in the first place for maybe newer, <laughs> newer uh, limited players or... You know, just somebody, maybe you've heard the term, but you're not really positive what it means, or you think we're talking about corn this whole time. Um, <laughs> what actually is draft chaff? What does it mean to us to be draft chaff? Um, how does that... word draft chaff? No, no, no. What does it mean to us for a card? Like, what do we classify a card as draft chaff? Yeah, um, okay. But we are. This is more of, this is more of philosophy of, of the game episode, which I'm a fan of. Yeah, same. So we're not really going to be talking about any any specific cards necessarily. Um, well, we're we, be, we might. We're going to we'll, talk about a few. We'll bring them up, but it's not a feature episode like our last one was. Yeah. Um, we're just going to kind of talk about what Draft Chaff really is and why it makes Limited what it is. Yeah, you know, anyone that started playing Limited within the past, what, six, five months, they've probably never played an in-person draft, so they would never have seen Draft Chaff. Yeah, not in like the traditional sense, I suppose. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I'm excited to talk about this because this is some nonsense. First of all, like the whole podcast idea is draft chaff. And I think that's kind of one of our core philosophical statements that, uh, well, you know, while we do like playing the game, it's also fun to try to figure out these, you know, chaffy interactions and that's something that i will admit m21 does have going for it i think it's a perfect format to talk about the chaff because honestly like half it's it's all chaff <laughs> most, most of it is chaff even the rares are yeah. chaff they're, they're all chaff yeah and it can be cool to try to figure out the the interactions between chaff and see what what each what, what the chaff has going for it still so let me ask you a question when you hear the phrase draft chaff what do you think of besides the you know award-winning uh internet famous podcast oh hosted gosh. by Zach and Ben. <laughs> uh glad glad you're not full of yourself. Um, Me? No. <laughs> not at all. Um what do I think of when I when I hear the phrase draft chaff? Well, I think of two things. Mainly I think of low power, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um in, in general I tend to think of draft chaff as cards that that people just don't really care to have you know they're not cards you're putting in your trade binder um but they kind of make limited what it is without them you can't without like draft chaff cards you can't build a draft deck um i know you like to always say that like they're the cards left on the table at the end of a draft that people just don't even they don't even care enough about them to bring them home yeah um but i also think of there there's like a, a second tier of chaff Ooh, this Which, is really good. Uh, yeah, right. I I lovingly call super chaff, um, which are cards that you just don't want in any format at all, including limited. 
<laughs> Can you name one of these? Uh, I would say something like Wishcoin Crab, but I've actually seen that deck, that card see play, and people be like not unhappy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, off the top of my head, I can't really think of anything. But like, I don't know, a two mana one one vanilla is not seeing play in any format uh, ever. Fibblethip is actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Fibblethip's not a vanilla two mana one one. <laughs> There's other yeah, text on that card. I've never seen it. Um, <laughs> But, Neither is he. Yeah. <laughs> I think I agree. Um, I've been thinking a lot about what the, the, the chaff really is because as a limited player, I play mostly limited. Um, I've played many, many chaff cards and I think we have a, an unspoken affection for them. Like when I see a pile of commons sitting at the end of a, a draft uh, after everyone's left, which is what draft chaff where the name came from, you know, it's the leftovers. People don't even care enough to take home. They just kind of leave them for donations or for collections or for you know younger kids that want to build a collection. When I see those, I'll take a look in there. And if I see something that I like, I might, you know, I might keep it uh, just for the sake of making a casual deck or giving a friend like an, an intro deck or upgrading that their their intro deck that they, you know, just got to get into the game. I'll start taking those, uh, those you know, somewhat limited playable commons that might otherwise go unnoticed. Yeah, and honestly, it's those cards that kind of keep me interested in limited. If I wanted to play, well, most of the time I do want to play broken cards. Let's be honest, I'm, <laughs> I'm me. But yeah. uh, limited gets gets us involved with those cards that flesh out sets that don't see a lot of constructed play, and I think it's really cool to see like. Yeah, these cards that like the common slot in a set of magic actually has use. Like that those commons serve a purpose and without them limited as a format wouldn't exist. And I think it's really cool to see how those cards from a design perspective are placed into the set intentionally, but also mm-hmm. like how they can help define an entire format when most uh you know, most people are looking at the bomb rares and the mythics to try to build their next constructed deck. Exactly. So I think a great example of this is uh, the old Sleepy Dino Drowsing Pteranodon. So this is a really cool common, right? Like this is a card that I'm excited to put in my green decks. It usually overperforms. It possibly is the best green common. Uh, yeah, it's over, up there. Yeah, over uh, Lanor Visionary. Wait, Elvis Visionary? No, Lanor, no, Lanor Visionary. Lanor Visionary, okay. I, you know... It, Come on, they they set us up for just, that. Just just smash the elves together. You you pick one of them, you're fine. Yeah. Okay. You knew what I meant. I think it's probably the best green common. Uh, it's outstanding in all the ways, all the uh, green decks and the red decks and any deck that is a way to pump it. But it's a two mana three three. That's that's pretty cool. This is a common that I am you know happy to put in my deck. But of course, it's still chaff. So I want to kind of go down the list here, and because. You know, chaff is primarily going to be one of the things that we're talking about in the future, kind of doing in-depth dives on certain cards that might be considered chaff. Sorry, season Hallow Blade, but definitely chaff. Uh, or no, it is, but about... we say that we say that lovingly. That is an endearing term to us. Oh yeah, totally, totally. I mean, that's that's why we have the whole podcast. So, I think we can start to define chaff just so we know what it is ourselves. And so our listeners can also know what it is so that we have, you know, kind of a unified direction for where we go. So sure. constructed playable cards. These are not chaff. Uh, there's going to be cards in the set that see constructed play. The Planeswalkers. Some of the, uh, the rares that are floating around here and there. Even fringe decks that are going to take these. That's not chaff. Mythics and rares in general are usually not chaff. They're, uh, they're usually pretty unique. Sometimes they pop up in corner cases. So... Even if they're uh, you know not worth much at the time, people are usually going to take them. Think of a uh, inverter of truth back from the uh, return to Zendikar set. It was totally unplayable until they printed Thassa's Oracle, and then you know everyone <laughs> was scrambling to find as many inverters of truth as they could find for you know Pioneer and whatnot. Casual staples aren't chaff. Uh, I think Cultivate and the Scrylands from from this set are good examples of that. People love Commander. They'll play those, and people will probably take them if they see them in their draft. Or, you know, at the end of the draft. They're not going to take them higher in the pick order, but they're pretty good anyway. And Chaff ends up being 
from what I've noticed, cards that are similar from set to set. So things like vanilla creatures, combat tricks, a lot of commons and uncommons that see little to no chance of seeing play uh, that are kind of not unique effects. I actually, I've kind of come up with this, this philosophy that you know, summarizes everything that I have to think about the chaff. Thoughts? Uh, you want to hear it? Yeah, yeah, shoot. All right, well, let's see. So it, it's a, a two-pronged philosophy. So there's two dimensions to this. The first one is rarity of the effect, and the second one is demand. And I cannot believe that I have a master's and I'm spending you know, hours thinking about <laughs> what, what kind of chaff means what. But anyway, I think rarity of effect and demand are the two deciding characteristics for what makes something a draft chaff. So unique effects, uh, or the rarity of the effect, how, how niche the card is. This is uh, how unique and how rare the card's effect is and, and what it does. So I think the card with the lowest value for this category is basic lands. You know, you can get them anywhere. They all do the same thing. And it's, you know, a pretty generic effect. They go in every deck. As we start to look at other commons, uh, I have down this kind of group of cards. Uh, Skyscanner, Skittering Surveyor, and Farfinder, all from decently recent sets. They're all very similar effects, and they're all printed at common, and they're not really played outside draft. So I would say that this is a not very rare effect. Do you follow? Sure, yeah, that makes sense. So on the opposite end of the spectrum, time walk effects, anything that says take an extra turn. These appear every once in a while, almost always at Mythic. So I'd call this a very rare effect. Because it's not every set, you know. One might even say more. a mythic rare effect. <laughs> I, come on, what are we, wizards now? The <laughs> labeling everything mythic this and mythic that. But uh, I think that those are so unique, and because they're, you know, physically rarer cards, this is a very exclusive effect. And then you have to think about the demand for the, these cards. So do people want them? Does anyone care about Farfinder? Like, maybe it'll show up in a pauper cube or a... You know, Fox Tribal, is that a thing? Uh, I don't know. Mm, doubt it. <laughs> but, but besides that, no one, no one really wants these cards. These, uh, like, draw a card, get a land, three mana generic. No one cares about that. Do people care about time walks? Yeah, I've known a few to care about a time walk from time to time. Yeah, I would say people generally do care about time walks. People love them in Commander, Cube. Uh, sometimes you can find nonsense casual decks. Sometimes the odd taking turns deck pops up in modern. And uh, I remember back in standard, part of the Watervale, that was a, a pretty fun win con. Like, we played that, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we did. So those kind of effects are, are sought after. People actually want them. They're actually in demand. So I think my chaff philosophy is that you can take any card, look at the rarity of its effect, and then compare it to its demand. So I have some examples here, all from M21, because I think M21 is, you know, full of vibrant and diverse chaff we can analyze. <laughs> so let's think of the first one. Actually, our buddy Wishcoin Crab. So hear me out. It's a vanilla body. So what, four mana, two, five? Crab. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is, is a pretty low rarity of effect, I would say. You can find a four mana two five in most sets, and in some sets, it's even named Wishcoin Crab. This is not something that you know is hyper rare. You see this probably multiple times a draft. Yeah, they're not very highly even in draft. They're not very highly picked. Yeah, it's printed at common, so you know it's all over the place. And uh, how many times have you cast one of these in a, a constructed format? Zero. I've literally never cast one in constructed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so here we have very low rarity of effect and very low demand. Therefore, it's chaff. So Yeah, and this actually this card in particular and cards of this ilk uh actually mm-hmm. hit that super chaff level that I was talking about where you don't even <laughs> really want them in limited. But most of the chaff we're talking about here, uh, which I think Ben kind of highlighted a bit earlier, is that um they're they're cards that are generally not played in constructed, but might actually have a valid position in the limited format of the, of the time such as drowsing pteranodon yeah that's the thing drowsing pteranodon is definitely draft chaff but you know it's still a, a great card in draft 
I hate that we have to talk about, you know, ugh, constructed, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, that is kind of the ultimate metric for determining what is chaff and what's not. So let's look at a different card, Cultivate, which I already mentioned, but I, I love Cultivate. Two in a green, you go get two basics, put one on the field, put one on your hand. Great card. It's a unique effect. Uh, there are some cards that do similar, thing, similar things, uh, like Rampant Growth or Kodama's Reach, but it's a pretty unique effect. It's printed at Uncommon here, and it hasn't been reprinted in a while. Uh, this is the first time in a, in a few sets. And uh, so I, I would say it's a pretty unique effect overall. So it's moderate on that scale. And then it has decent demand from the player base. You know, I play Cultivate my green commander decks when I can. Yeah, not it's just Commander. Ramp if you look at, like... I mean, Ramp is pretty prominent in Constructed right now, as far as I'm aware. I don't really follow mm -hmm. the Constructed scene too well, but, um, like, the newer Ramp decks are probably going to be running Cultivate if they're not right now. Like, it, it's... I can see it. It's, it's a Ramp card that they're... It, they don't really have other versions of this. I mean, there's, like, uh, Growth Spiral is probably the, the next closest thing, and that's harder to cast. Yeah, there's Uro running around too. That's but true. when Growth Spiral rotates, I could easily see this thing seeing standard play at some point during its you know tenure in standard. Right. So um, because this has a very unique effect, there's no other ramp spell quite like it in standard. <laughs> cough, cough, Uro. And it has a decent demand from the player base. Like if I if you see this at the end of the at the table after a draft, do you take it? Yeah, I probably will. But I also tend to take most of my chaff home too. So. <laughs> Yeah, come on, we love chaff. That's why we're doing this. But um, I, I would, totally, absolutely. And I think a lot of players would agree, at least those that care about nonsense formats like we do, like Commander and things like that. So I would say that Cultivate is not chaff. Next, Terror of the Peaks, one of our favorite mythics of the set. I love this guy. This, this dragon's so much fun. Uh, actually, did you know there's an infinite combo with Terror of the Peaks? I did not. Yeah, there, there is. So, if you can have a Terror of the Peaks, a Spore Web Weaver that's two in a green for one four hexproof from blue, because blue mm -hmm. targets things now, I guess. I don't know. Hey, and, look, if uh, green can draw cards, blue can target things. All right, all right, whatever. So, it uh, whenever it's dealt damage, you gain a life and make a one one sapperling. And then the last piece you need to this puzzle is Heroic Intervention. It's one in a green instant gives all of your uh, permanents hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. Maybe it's creatures. I forget. Well, the point is, if you can give a spore web weaver indestructible and have a terror of the peaks in play and then find some way to damage the spore web weaver, it gets delta damage. That creates a 1-1. You gain a life. Terror of the peak sees the 1-1. You deal 1 to the spore web weaver, which makes another 1-1. Yep. Infinite life, infinite 1-1 tokens. It's basically twin, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Three-card twin, no big deal. Yeah, just because they're all, you know, rares and mythics doesn't mean you can't assemble it. Definitely. Done. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, we have a unique dragon mythic rare. People love this kind of thing. It's very unique. It's printed at mythic, so it's hard to find. And it has, you know, probably some standard potential. Skargon Hellkite saw play every once in a while, and this thing is probably better than that. Yeah. Of course, it also has you know combo potential. I will admit, I tried to make that combo work in standard, did not go well. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't expect so. It's it's not like the highest uh, power level sort of thing. I mean, it is an infinite combo, but standard's kind of a mess right now. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and and you know, kind of on on the scale that you were talking about, like it it might not necessarily be like the most uh, sought after card but it's also a mythic so it's hard to find and so that demand supply curve kind of balances out to where the people who want them will need to look for them but they they can get them yeah and i also think this has potential this could definitely see standard play so it's definitely not chaff that's true question when we're discussing this whole spectrum of what is and isn't chaff does mm -hmm. does the potential to be played and constructed make a card not chaff, or do we have to wait to see it played and constructed before we can say this is this is chaff or it isn't? I want to say that if the demand is that low, for example, inverter, um, 
I think that it could potentially. Uh, you see, I don't ever think that Inverter of Truth was chaff, though. That's the thing. It, because it was a mythic and a hyper unique effect, just like this dragon, I think that that by definition makes it not chaff. I think for it Regardless to, for of the fact be, that it didn't see constructed play at the time. Yeah, I think for a card to be true chaff, it has to be like below 50% in both categories, in both the uniqueness of its effect and the uh, demand for it. I don't know what 50% would mean, I guess, on a scale of all magic cards. Maybe even 30, below 30 in both cases. But hmm. I'm thinking that compared to something like a Skyscanner, Farfinder, that, you know, three mana generic, do get a card somehow. I think that because that's such a common effect, those will never be, you know, sought after. But any kind of sought after unique effect mythic could eventually see play somewhere. Sure. I do think that the potential has to be considered. And that kind of falls under the rarity of the effect. So even if demand is very low, I think if the rarity of effect is maximum, then it's not chaff. Interesting. See, I, I think I weigh the um the the potential in a different matter, like in a in a different way. Um I think Oh no. A third dimension? I'm not ready for this. Well, I don't know that it necessarily fits on this rarity of effect versus demand curve you're building here. But mm -hmm. for me, I think that to consider something chaff and I'm putting myself in the, the position of I'm sitting at the draft table, my rounds are over and I have like, maybe I don't have enough space in my box or whatever to keep all the cards that I drafted, which yeah. are, which am I taking mm -hmm. almost every single time I'm in this situation. And maybe this is just me, but I'm going to be looking up the value of the cards that I drafted. So for me, chaff has more to do with, and I think this is kind of an overall effect of this rarity of effect versus demand curve. But yeah. in general, I think for me, it has to do more with the cost of the cards because, and, and I think the cost is obviously reflecting demand in some capacity outside yeah. of a limited format because, you know, cards don't cost anything in when you're <laughs> just putting them with respect to limited. But yeah, if, if a card is highly demanded... Uh, it's going to cost a lot. That said, Inverter, when it was in Limited, wasn't really highly sought after. It was maybe a couple bucks, if that. Mm -hmm. um, now, I don't, I don't know what the cost of it is now, but it's seeing tons of play in Pioneer and it's one of the best Pioneer decks, so probably it's worth quite a bit. Does that... I can look it up real quick. Let's find out. Sure. Does that mean TCG it's... Player, TCG Player has it at $1.15. Still. Okay, so that's interesting. It's a dollar. It breaks the dollar mark. No, that's true. I actually, I actually think that that's because it was chaff for so long. Like there are so many people have them. Oh yeah, I, I remember. I had drafted a lot of that set. I wound up with three copies of Inverter just in my trade binder, just incidentally, and I never yeah. saw it after them. I just got unlucky <laughs> during opens. <laughs> that's interesting because I would have. Seeing how much play it sees now, I, if there was a flashback draft, I wouldn't think to call this chaff. Um, but I think also that that kind of turn, um, you know, the ev evolution of different constructed formats will change whether or not a card is chaff. Because, mm -hmm. you know, at the time that it was printed, it might not see play in anything. But when new cards are printed, it suddenly makes, as, as we're talking about with Inverter and Thassa's Oracle, like... Thassa's Oracle made Inverter a relevant constructed card. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, I would say if there's a flashback draft at this point, Inverter is no longer chaff, but I think I would have considered it chaff during its limited format. Mm -hmm. And similarly, I don't think that a like Skyscanner will ever have a, a sister card printed that makes it broken. So I don't think that that has very high potential, for example. But I sure. think back then... I, I did hold on to my inverters because I knew that it had some kind of it had a super unique effect. Yeah, and I think that's that's the crux of the conversation here. Like the fact that the the effect is so unique, there's only one card in the game that does that exact thing. Mm -hmm. That's gonna yeah. eventually it's gonna see play somewhere. Yeah, so I think that inverter is an example where on the demand bar when it was first printed, demand was almost nothing, and if it had a an, a non unique effect. If it was just like something that, that has been printed similarly to since then or before then, 
I, I don't think it would have much potential. I think we could have called it chaff back then. But because it was so unique, I think that we would still have to call it not chaff when it was first printed. Sure. Okay, I can get on board with that. So in our in our uh, two-dimensional, we still have the rarity of the effect and the demand. So <laughs> let's, let's uh, look at one where they're both off the charts in the opposite direction. Let's look at Ugin, the spirit dragon. This is a Planeswalker, which I think are automatically unique effects. You rarely find Planeswalkers that do the exact same thing. Although, every once in a while, they do print a 5-mana uptick draw a card, minus kill a creature, ultimate win the game. But they've been moving away from that design space recently, and that's good. But obviously, Ugin is stupidly unique and stupidly playable, right? Like, this this is obvious, not chaff. Yeah. And that's another situation where you just, you know, you look up the cost of the card, and you're like, okay. And that <laughs> yeah. does change as it gets as cards get printed more and more. So the cost isn't everything when you're considering what is chaff and what isn't. But obviously Ugin's not. And sometimes there are just cards where you just look at them and you say, "This is not." It just it just isn't. Yeah. So I think that I guess we could look right now and see uh, kind of our own example of inverter of truth discontinuity. So this is the uh, the time walk like effect. Um, I wouldn't call it exactly like a time walk, but it ends the turn on the spot, which is a hyper unique effect. Like they, there's what, one or two other cards that do that? Maybe. So I think that this, while it's probably worth what, like a dollar at most, it's not seeing any constructed play that I know of at least. Maybe when they ban Nexus of Fate, people will try to do that with this instead. But <laughs> actually those bans all just, you know, those... That's been banned, whatever. Yeah, they just Maybe haven't. people will try that somehow with this, but I doubt it. But that's not to say that there isn't some, you know, eventual combo. I don't think there's one in the game or in standard right now, but uh, if we had some kind of like hyper upside card with a triggered ability that has a drawback that you want to, uh, you know, end the turn with the drawback on the stack. Can't think of... Any, there's some, uh, every once in a while they print a take an extra turn after this. I think the Boros one is still in standard, and then you lose the game at the end of the turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that rotates. Maybe it doesn't get there for that, but... I don't know. I, I I, it's, it is interesting to consider, though. Yeah, so I, I think right now, discontinuity, we would say, has on its uh, demand bar almost nothing, but on its rarity of effect, extremely high. So I would always be picking up my discontinuities at, at the end of the table. Yeah, that's interesting. And also um, something else to consider when you're discussing, you know, rarity of effect versus demand is the actual rarity of the card. I know in general, we tend mm-hmm. to think commons of chaff, uncommons might be, and rares and mythics aren't. It's not always the case. There are oftentimes rares and even mythics that are chaff. They just never mm-hmm. see play in virtually any constructed format barring maybe edh or something um yeah m21 is not one of those sets m21 has so many reprints that were designed just for constructed you have things like ugin azusa grim tutor there are a lot of cards that were just like immediately put in this just to reprint a couple of constructed cards Mm -hmm. yeah so i also think that goes the opposite way where not all commons and uncommons are chaff exactly Take Llanowar Elves. Like, I mean, I can see some people that leave Llanowar Elves behind if they've got their, you know, 12 that they think they'll ever need. But it's a very good card, especially for someone that cares about, you know, keeping uh, newer players up to speed. If I find out that my, my friend who just got into Magic is building a green deck, I'm going to give him four Llanowar Elves, you know? Yeah, take... Why not? Perfect example that I have for this is Lightning Bolt. I started playing Magic the Gathering mm-hmm. when I was... Uh, when M10 came out. I yeah. kept every lightning bolt I opened and uh you know when I got you into the game I had I think 3 play sets of lightning bolts. Every <laughs> single lightning bolt that I had was worth at least $4 at the time. Yeah. Like they're That's just not chaff. Day. They see play in every deck that can run them. Uh, uh, every deck that wants to run them push. that can run them. Yeah. Fatal push came to mind when I was making this as well. Uh, even when that was in standard, it was seeing modern play. That's an uncommon, which most uncommons fall in the chaff category these days. But every once in a while, you get one like that where it's uh, an eternal playable. And I think uh, removal often 
finds its way into this sort of situation. A lot of the best removal tends to be uncommon mm-hmm. rather than rare. I think in most situations that tends to be the yep. case. And so those cards are going to see constructed play because that's generally where they print removal at and removal is super important in every format. So, yeah. Something that's interesting with this is that in that, in those cases with a uh, bolt and fatal push, the rarity of the effect factoring in the actual rarity, like you talked about the rarity of the card they're picked up more often than mythics are because they're open more often because statistically there's more uncommons than mythics. Mm-hmm. But the demand for them is almost at maximum. Everyone needs four fatal pushes that they're playing Jund. It, actually, I haven't played modern Jund in a long time, not since before quarantine started. So I don't know if people were still playing fatal pushes and bolts and that, but I, I imagine they are. So yeah. everyone needs them. Yeah, it's true. And it, it shifts, as we were saying before, it, it does shift with the formats and which decks are popular and things of that nature but um this is a pretty solid guideline to determine whether or not a card is chaff or has the potential to be or not be Mm -hmm. so i think i can speak for both of us when we say that the chaff is important and that there's nothing that i love more than making some kind of constructed brew out of what was previously bad draft cards yeah i mean that's more Uh, or less the entire popper format Oh yeah, Popper is outstanding. It's one of my favorite formats to play. It has high power cards, the best of the best, but the power level isn't that absurd that you can't get away with playing some, you know, nonsense here and there. One of my favorite Popper decks is Green Black Delirium. It's actually it's kind of a threshold deck, but it's mostly Delirium. I'm playing stuff like uh the it's a, a zero four spore that gets plus three plus O oh, and t- if you have delirium, it's basically it's Harmagoyf. <laughs> like I, I, I'm playing, um, I think it's the, uh, I don't remember the names of these cards. I haven't played this popper deck in a long time, but uh, Meld, if you remember from the uh, Eldrazi sure. Innistrad set, I play the human and rat that meld together to make some kind of like five, six menace. Everything gets menace in one sure. O. I love that kind of nonsense. And um, even past that, every once in a while, these things are standard playable. One of my all-time favorite standard decks had a million Thraben Inspectors in it. That yeah. card's great, but it's undoubtedly draft chaff. So I think uh, one thing that I like to do is to figure out how I can use these relatively not unique effects to a better purpose. Like, how could I take a sky scanner and break that? I don't know. Maybe there's no Might way to never do it right happen. now, but yeah. it's certainly fun to think about. Hey, I would have said the same thing about Ornithopter before that scissors deck came out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pretty unique effect, but demand is pretty low. So maybe it's not chaff, but it doesn't do much. But then once you figure out a way to break it to kind of get it past those 50% barriers in both categories, then that's just cool then you, you know you made it. Absolutely. Well, I think that about covers what we had to talk about for this episode. Do you have anything, any yeah. last parting thoughts you want to give the listeners? Well, um, I mean, they found out a little while ago that I love my, my Elk Commander deck, so I, all I really want is that this podcast gets a bit of popularity, Wizards finds out about it, and they keep printing more bad Elk at Common so I can <laughs> shove them into my elk commander deck that's all i really want to come from this you heard him here mayro make it happen (laughs) all right everybody that's gonna do it for us this week thanks for listening and as always you can contact the podcast directly at draftchaffpod at gmail.com or on twitter at draftchaffpod you can reach me at ranik alfredian on twitter as well and you can always find ben at betafish1 that's gonna do it for us we'll see you next week see ya so I, I got a little bit of a sign off here. Um, okay. What have you got? Just, you know, we're talking about uh, all this chaff and, and cards that, you know, make limited interesting, but aren't super great outside of limited and mm-hmm. things of that nature. And for a while I had been mulling over building and putting together a, maybe like a common uncommon uh, cube. Ooh. And I'm thinking the more and more I think about it, I would love to, I don't know if it needs to be the same cube, but I would love to build a chaff cube 
Like it's just just <laughs> cards, like the chaffiest cards from all of limited history, and wow. just thrown in one set. So this would be the ultimate method of at least personally increasing demand, and then you could design the cube in a way that the effects have different relative rarities because it's a new playing pool. You could make chaff into. <laughs> you could give it the home that it deserves. Yeah, I think I think I need to do this. I'm getting really excited oh, about this idea, and it's only been in my head for like ten minutes. <laughs> I I think we should build this. Yeah, that would be really really cool. Maybe oh, we can man, get some draft, suggestions draft from. Cube? Yeah, maybe we can get some suggestions from the the listeners from time to time, and we can uh, make oh, adjustments as new this. new chaff comes out. So, uh, listeners of draft chaff. Like, comment, and subscribe. Oh my below. gosh! <laughs> okay, no, but seriously, send us, DM us, or tweet us uh, to tell us what your favorite chaff is. Like ones that are limited archetype defining. Uh, what do you think? Is Opt going to make it in? Is that chaff or no? See, that's a that's actually a really tough card to to evaluate from a chaff perspective because mm -hmm. um, it's it has seen constructed play in many formats. But it's also a common and it's also kind of replaceable, effect-wise. Yeah, there's a few things that do similar stuff. Um, I don't know that I would say it's chaff, but it's on. The, I'm on the fence. I don't know. I, I think it might make that cube, but I don't know if it has to be cards that are, like, just hands down, this is a chaff card. Like, does Drowsing Pteranodon make that? Hmm. That it also depends to, right? what kind of limited format you want it to be. Like, do you want it to be a decently power limited format with two mana three threes running around or hear me out alternatively you make the green white sub theme elk i promise they're they're all bad are <laughs> there looked. are there enough though oh oh yeah there's enough they're just not very good all right well i don't know about that but uh i'm really liking this idea and i may have to start putting this together Oh, and the blue sub theme could be crustaceans, like crabs, wish coin crabs. Oh no, 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 The the blue sub theme has to be jellyfish. Oh, but then you're playing like like actual good. Come on. <laughs> yeah, for the listeners out there, Ben Ben hates jellyfish, so I'm not a big fan. Whatever. Well, let's let's start drafting this thing up. Yeah, you I might like say it. we're about to draft chaff. <laughs> That'll do it for us. <laughs>